Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we return to Horror on the Orient Express. And so, without any further ado, we're just going to get directly into introductions because we have an awful lot of things to accomplish tonight. To my right. Hi there, I'm Mike, and I'm playing James Robert Fraser, who is creeping into a crypt. Indeed you are, and to his right. Hi, this is Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and I've got the magic, magic, magic. Hmm, indeed. Now the question will be is, will you use it at the end of the table? Hi, this is Giles, and I'm playing Simon Griffith, and I'm looking for some place to secrete my last two sticks of dynamite. I'm certain that we can find you a hole. And to his right. Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and I'm supposed to be taking skin off, not putting it on. Well, I mean, some here, some there. I'm certain that you'll make a, a good work of it without uh, without too much prompting. And last, but most certainly not least. I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney, and uh, Richard still needs a good cup of tea. Well, I don't think that you're going to find it here, unfortunately, Professor. I wouldn't dare drink anything in this place. And so, we'll raise the curtain tonight as, just momentarily ago, a door came loose of its hinges thanks to some rot, and one James Robert Fraser carefully placed it on the floor, just laying up there against the wall so that way he and his investigative compatriots could make their way into this some sort of strange tomb. All along the walls, there are candles and oil lamps, most of which give off a baleful green light. Tucked into the walls are bodies, some laid flat, some straight. And in the center of this space, there is a large, wide table, the marble top to it. And on this table, there are bodies, not covered by sheets. It seems they are mid-operation, and just there dancing in the background, as you enter this space, you can all hear a murmur from somewhere upstairs. A low chanting sound carries on the airwaves. And so I would ask our investigators, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to clamber very quietly and carefully out of the tunnel that we've come through into the room and beckon Professor Courtney to follow me out, put my finger to my lips and point up the stairs. Or, well, I don't know, can we see stairs? Is there a door? Yeah, so to give you a, a little bit of more of a explanation of the space itself, beyond this initial area, on the opposite side of the room, there does seem to be, well, I guess, a, I guess the best way to really explain it, it's not a door, it's a doorway, because there's no physical door there. You can see a space just beyond it. There's enough light to see what's in that space, and it's, we'll say, maybe a five-foot-wide passageway, which would lead 
potentially left and or right. And on the left side of that passageway, you see a small series of stairs. Okay. And I'm going to um, cautiously make my way around the room, avoiding this pile of bodies on a table in the center of the room. I don't really want to look at that too closely. The rest of our investigators, what, uh, what say you? Richard will follow closely, probably stare at the flickering green light a little bit. Okay. He's curious as to why somebody would uh, put candles in a crypt like this. That's a great question. Why would someone put candles in a crypt? The light here is rather enticing. You know, it moves in a completely different pattern than the regular red flames that are here on some of the more corner candles. The green flame, anyway, does seem to burn almost in slow motion. And so, Professor, why don't you give me a power roll? Because you're taking an awful long look at these candles. Which it has good power. And uh, makes a 28, which is, yeah, a hard success. Yep. Now, you feel the draw from these candles to pick one up, to take it, to carry it with you. And you feel an almost alien presence in your mind, slowly whispering, bring me with you. You'll need the light. You manage to shake that off and try to shake off the cold chill down your spine that comes with it. So you'll look forward and uh, carry on. Right. So, Mr. Fraser, it seems your compatriots are beginning to come out of this hole. Lady Elizabeth, Paul helps you down to the floor so that way you're able to not over overexert yourself. Afterwards, he hands you the, the cane if it becomes necessary. Before we go, I need to tell you what I need you to do once we find the pieces. Quickly. And I'm going to make sure everyone's paying attention and speak fairly urgently. Each piece has to be put into a niche. It'll be in the, the room. We have to keep them there. They cannot be moved. Each piece in its own. There's a chant... I believe we have to all start it, the five of us. Uh, I can continue it on my own from what I gather, but I'm going to be drawing power from myself, but also from all four of you. I'll do my best to be careful, but I can't do it alone. Do you need us all to be holding hands or something? No, no. As far as I know, we don't need to do do that, which means you'll be able to protect me. This this chant, do you want us to to start do you have it written down when i started you you continue this is what i've got we can't once it starts we can't let it stop we can't remove the pieces it'll take me a few minutes you have to keep the pieces where they where they belong and you can't let me stop this is the only way to destroy this thing i'll need every bit of help you can all give me you'll have all the help you need how will we know when you can stop it, it should be destroyed. Once it's destroyed, I should be able to theoretically stop. But the pieces must be destroyed before that. Do you need us to do anything to the pieces uh, physically? They just need to be in their niches. We'll see those when we get there. We don't have a whole lot of time, but you needed to know before we get there. What What, what is it we're, we're to, to say uh, this chant is? You'll know when it starts. Mr. Griffith, Professor, Paul, do you understand me? Paul looks a little curious. Um, I, I think so. I, I guess I'll just 
listen to when you started and do my best to copy. I'm going to have to draw power from from you. Like I said, I apologize in advance, but I can't do it on my own. Okay, whatever you need. I cast my mind back to that room back in Milan when we were helping the opera singer. Professor, Mr. Griffith, I will need you as well. Right. What do you need us for, ma'am? Specifically? I will draw power from you. I will need you to help me start the chant, and then I will need you to make sure that the pieces stay in place until I am done. That will be your task. Don't let anyone remove them. Question. Once you start drawing on our power, do I keep chanting or am I free to move at that point? You're free to move. Understood. That's what I needed to know. Thank you. All right. As long as we're all on the same page, we should move. We wait until the signal of uh, Akdar's men and then we'll move in. I'm just going to get the lay of the land. Stay back for a moment. Hurry up. I mean, I uh, I can only imagine what's happening to Maggie at the minute. Maggie, this is... Well, at first you thought this was all a bit of a farce. This seems a little silly. The whole flesh donning, the whole walking around, all the mumbling they're doing. It gets a little serious the closer you get to it, though. Things start to happen that you're not sure about. Like getting closer and watching this gentleman, this person, this this man at the center of all these people right in the air is a little concerning. It makes sort of these strange harmonic vibrations in the back of your ears. And you end up wincing a little bit at some of the words he says. You feel your legs shake a little bit, like you're physically uneasy. You start feeling your pulse in your legs and it makes you worried. You manage to get within about 10 rows of the the main central area where this is going down at. The congregation, if that's even what you can call them, are mostly taking up the main hall. They've left a wide space between them and this circle. There's a painted circle here, and you see it for the first time. Behind this painted circle... There are little alcoves, little cutouts in the walls here, and you see the simulacrum pieces in some of them. They're there. They're glowing with this amazingly beautiful rosy red light. And as he continues to sort of encant, they keep getting brighter. Like he's talking to them, maybe? You're not sure. People begin getting brought to the circle. One after another maybe four or five in total so far. They're young. They're teenagers at best. And they're brought to the middle of this circle. And this man is bringing them closer to him, within an arm's reach or so. And he takes from within the folds of his robe a long piece of what looks like at this range. You're probably about 40 or so, 50 or so feet from him at this point. But it looks like a long piece of strain. It's a little flat, though. And he, with a sickening precision, begins to sew them together. Not in any one specific way. Not arm in arm, not elbow to elbow, but more like hand to face, thigh to rib. And this process takes on a life of its own. 
the young people that are in this circle call out. You hear the word mother more than once, or what you think is mother. You don't speak any Arabic, but mm, boy, that's not a hard word to misinterpret. They leak blood all over the space because there's no mystical way to keep them from bleeding. And with each full sewing, he gets to the next one and then the next one. And there is this circle now, ball of these bodies that he has sewn together. And with each one that gets added to the pile, the ball of flesh gets a little larger. And you don't really hear much from them after a few moments of being attached to each other. He covers the entire thing in some sort of soaked blanket. It looks like a big leather blanket. That's the best thing that you could possibly hope it to be. There's some sort of slap of wet material on flesh. And there's a definite moisture that comes out of the bottom of it. This feels like a sanity check for Maggie. It 100% is. Okay, good. Just making sure. Fantastic. Okay. I'll roll my sand check. Please do. That is a 72, which is a fail. It is absolutely a fail. Come on, big sand loss. All right, Miss Bellinger, you're going to lose six points of sanity today. You're going to make an intelligence roll for me. Int check. That is a 64 under 70. Okay, so that's a successful intelligence roll. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, if there's a game, if there's one roll that you want to fail, it's this one. But somehow, somehow I think that you don't want to fail this one. Well, that, you know, that uh, my disadvantage I didn't fail me this time. Of course not. Okay, so you will enter an immediate bout since there are no invest- other investigators in this scene. Mm-hmm. It is not a real-time bout, so there are some some differences therein. Yeah. So what I'll do upon that is I will activate your mania. Okay. And then I'm going to roll a d10. That being said, we'll cut back to our investigators. Mr. Fraser, you alluded to the fact that you're going to do a little reconnaissance. Yes. I would like you to go ahead and give me a stealth roll. We do know that you're being very careful. Yeah, so coming out of this room, this corridor goes one way and basically a short corridor and some stairs go the other way. Yeah. So I think the first thing I want to do is, I'm assuming the noise is coming from upstairs because that's what I got a sort of sense of before. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to know what's down this other corridor. I'm just going to use the light that's coming from the candles and the green glow and that kind of thing just now. Hopefully that's going to be enough for me to uh, see where I'm going without having to bring my own source of light. A stealth roll. That's a normal success, 48 under 69. You pick up on, as you look to the right, away from the staircase, uh, you pick up that there are several large urns that sit in this room. They are, roughly speaking, about four to five feet high and about two feet wide. There are six of them. On the top of them, there are a consistent and heavy layer of flies that buzz over them. 
And this is down the, the corridor to the right, yeah? Yeah. You can see the corridor end. It ends about 15 feet that way. All right, it's just a dead end with some urns, with some things that I do not want to look at in them. Yeah, I mean, I presumably if there's flies buzzing around, there might be a sort of an odour coming from these things as well. I'm going to turn my attention to the stairs, um, see how far they go up and what's at the top of them. Looks like five or six stairs. And then beyond that, you see a form, a humanoid form, standing, looks like with its back to you. It seems to be facing whatever's in front of it. Just barely creeping up the stairs, you can probably get your eyes just above the top stair enough, long enough anyway, to see that there's a curtain and then there's an awful lot of noise. That same sort of chanting coming from beyond that curtain. Somebody up the top of the stairs guarding a curtain and on the other side of the curtain there's something else going on. I will quietly creep back to the others and gather them together. Okay. We have a guard at the top of the stairs to the left. They are standing by a set of curtains. On the other side of the curtains is my, I presumably a, a larger space. There are people in it. They're the ones doing the chanting. Simon, do you think you can take the guard out quickly and quietly without arousing um, any suspicion or interest from within the room? I think so. Good man. You want me to do it now? Are you all ready? Take the guard out, and then we'll wait for the signal from outside before we actually move into the room proper. Hey, Jim, I've got an idea. How about I take him out, but you be ready to catch him in case he falls and makes a noise. Just in case. Maybe uh, you can use whatever he's wearing as a disguise as well. Stand guard yourself. I'll try and not get too much blood on it then. Quickly and quietly. Good man, let's go. All right, so I'm going to let um, Fraser's stealth roll from before stand. Okay, thank you. I'll be keeping kind of towards the bottom of the stairs because I'm just a sort of the backup in case this doesn't go quite according to plan. Mm-hmm. I rolled a 66, but do I get a bonus dice for stealth? Surprise. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. All right, I'll spend the 16 luck for that 76. So that brings me down to 59. And that's a strike. Okay. Zero damage. That is five points. Okay. So you stab him. A large sort of breath of air releases from his lungs. There's a definite... Oh! And he starts to turn. I'll ask, Mr. Fraser, are you going to engage him during the surprise round or not? If I am aware that he hasn't gone down immediately, I think I'm going to have to uh, go in and with the uh, with the butt of my Webley and try and knock the guy out. You're fairly certain that he is not going down. Okay, well, in, yeah, in that case, I'm just going to move up as quickly as I can and just clock him on the back of the head. Go right ahead. Does he get to react to this or is he still effectively surprised here? He's not effectively surprised, but... He doesn't beat you in decks. But he will still get a chance to dodge or fight back. He will get a chance to dodge or fight back. Zero eight. Ooh. Which is an extreme success. I want to do a knockout blow. That's what I'm trying to do. Knock him knock him out. 
You want to knock out blow? Okay, so I'll, I'll roll con for him. You would normally do at least one point of damage with that anyway. He's failed his con check. He passes out. Uh, Simon, since we're now in regular rounds, correct? His last action was the surprise round? Mm-hmm. Catches the body and carefully drags it downstairs. Easily done. Uh, how big is he? Oh, he's probably around size 60-ish or so. He's a size gem? Give or take. Let's, um, yeah, let's strip him of whatever outer garment he's wearing. So, about that. Oh dear, he's wearing skins, isn't he? For fuck's sake. When, when you go to pull his clothes off, you realize that they are stretched leather. And then you realize all of a sudden that that is, that is not leather, that that is skin. And, ooh, oh my. Um, so gentlemen, if you would, the two of you would make these sanity rolls. The reason I'm asking for a sanity roll it's because it's fucking horrible, that's why. It, it is, it is. But um, I think this is, I would just say for, for Simon's sake, given that you're cold-blooded, this sort of goes above and beyond what normal gore is. This man is wearing parts of someone else's body, including their face. And that's really the definition that hurts about this, is that you can see a blended human face in a horrible, transfixed, facial features. Okay, but if I pass, do you think I'll not take a sand hit then? Yeah, I don't think... I think if you pass, you're not going to probably take anything. I rolled a zero two. I won't say you're fine. It's a little creepy, but all the more reason this place needs to go. I'll make a sanity roll. Please do. And that is a normal success, 48 under 53. Okay. Point of sanity loss for you, sir. Oh my god. What is... The skinned one won't be denied, and I think we found it. I know it's gross, but put it on. No, tie him up. I'm not wearing that. Fuck off. Professor, how about you put this on? Uh, what? what? Sorry, uh, what do you want me to do? There's a, a leather robe here you should put on. Oh, right. Um, uh, is this so we can creep up and find out where Maggie is? Precisely, Professor. Right, okay, okay, um, well, on, on with it then. I'm just looking at Simon like he's insane. He, he is. I want to see if this guy's actually got any normal clothes on at all, because I want to use them to gag him. Simon or the... Great question. We'll ask for clarity in a second. He does have normal clothes on, right? So they are just essentially dirty linens, white cloth. That he wears under this, it seems to have soaked up some of the additional moisture of his cultist robe. How's that sanity roll going for you there? That's a great question. Has Richard worked out what it is, or is he sort of blindly ignorant and just thinks the guy's probably got a bit of a body odor problem and he's just a bit, bit sweaty, bit of a bit of a hard day? Oh, 56, which is a bit of a fail. Oh, good. Something like that. Uh, you lose one point of sanity in this regard. I look at Jim and I go, he was wearing a dead person's skin. I, I think that's sufficient that he doesn't need to live. I just cut his throat. Simple and easy, although quite brutal. I just look away. Just do not respond to that. Richard now looks uneasy in his new robe. That was grounds for being killed. Mm, you do. Paul sort of puts his arms out at his side and says... 
This is all awful. Can we please just move along? We make our way up the stairs, and then we wait for the signal, and then we move. The leader, what's his name? Makrat. That is our target. We must eliminate him. Remember, we have a job to do here. The simulacrum must be destroyed. Whatever we do cannot interfere with that. So the group creeps up the stairs. There is a curtain that separates the space here, which appears to be almost like a small preparation room. There are small tables that are laid out here where there's an array of knives and other stainless steel objects. They look like they're made to perhaps remove organs. You can hear the chanting. It's reached a fever pitch outside. So we're in a little kind of antechamber and there's a curtain on our way in. Is it a curtained way into the, the larger chamber or is there a door there? Uh, it looks like there's just a curtain, to be perfectly honest with you. It appears this curtain really isn't all that resplendent by any means, right? It's a bit rotted. You can see through tiny little holes in it. And if viewing the space beyond it, you see the main floor of the mosque, which is filled with similarly dressed cultists. Fraser is wishing that he'd brought his rifle with him. He didn't think he would uh, have an opportunity to use it in a what he anticipated to be a, a kind of smaller, more enclosed space, but this would seem like the perfect opportunity. So he's going to go up to that curtain and very carefully try and peer through like a, a, a gap between the, the curtain and the wall or the curtain, two, two parts of curtain, just to see if he can see, well, anything other than just a group of people, anything like the pieces of the simulacrum, this guy that seems to be in charge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely viewable. You're tall enough to see out at part of this curtain height. You can see there's a, you know, 60, 70 or so feet in. There's a central space where there's a big blanket over something. And there seems to be a figure just beyond it. You can see his arms occasionally move in the air. And he's directing this chant. And beyond him, even against the back-facing wall in these niches, something glows back there. In the tiniest bit of crimson and rose light, there's something back there. Are those the simulacrum pieces? The chanting continues to pick up its pitch and its tenor. Approximately how far away is this guy who's leading the chanting? Is he within standard um, pistol range? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, your problem here is going to be the angle. So I think Fraser's just going to relay that information back to the others, and especially the point about the simulacrum, and back to her ladyship. Richard will ask, can, can you see Maggie there? Is she among them? I couldn't see her, but there is something under a blanket there on a platform or table or something. I, 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 do, 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 do you think that's her? Be quiet. We wait for that signal. We have men causing a distraction. But they need to hurry up about it, or I'm going to cause a distraction. You wittering on will not speed them up any. Keep your mouth shut and your eyes and ears open. Richard gives you an evil glare. You hear from outside the space a gunshot. And after, immediately after that gunshot, a voice rises on the air, rises all the way to the top of the, the pitch range. 
And the voice says, How dare you try to usurp me, the goddess Maggie Bellinger? And so, we're going to have a bit of initiative now. Given where Miss Bellinger is in the initiative chart normally, I would like to know from you, Miranda, what will Maggie be doing? Maggie is wants to, like, I don't know what he's doing to these people. It's obviously part of something, some way of him getting power. I want to begin ripping these sewed together people apart. Okay, you'll have to get to them. Tearing them, yeah. No, Maggie's going to rush forward and try to just, abs- like, n- no care in the world to it being gentle. Just absolutely ripping them apart where they've been sewn together. Okay. So the next person in initiative normally would be Simon. So because I'd like to get an idea of what everyone's going to be doing, Simon, what is your plan on your initiative phase? Where is this Maggie voice coming from? Somewhere beyond in the other room, beyond the curtain. Uh, Simon just looks at Jim and what now? Move. All right. Uh, Simon steps outside of the uh, curtain. Or he will be, yes. Wonderful. You, you go on, what, 80? Yes. Very famously, we know that Lady Elizabeth will go on 64 for unknown reasons. But please share with us what we will be doing. Well, if they're going to rip the curtain open, if they do that, then I'm going to step through and start chanting. Wonderful. I believe that they will be doing that. I'm sort of getting, the reason why I'm getting an idea of this is because I would like to know what people are planning on doing before before we enact it. So, Professor? Oh, I think Richard is going to run through with his uh, his new toy and uh, start shooting at whatever seems to be... I'm going to say either in Maggie's way or... Uh, um, I mean, he doesn't know what he's going to see yet. So, um, yeah, but basically, if this chanting guy is, is giving her his full attention, it'll be him. Uh, if she's going for this sort of ball of people and no one seems to be stopping her he'll probably just start shooting the ball of people yeah so strictly speaking the ball of people is not technically a ball of people to anybody else except Maggie so nobody knows it's a ball of people except the goddess Maggie doesn't matter to Richard he, if, if that's the only thing that uh, seems to be causing Maggie a problem that's what he'll shoot wonderful so the gunfire as we get this big ball of wax started The gunfire starts from outside. So it would be something that you would not see, Miss Bellinger, because you're very one channel focused at this point. But for the rest of our immediate investigators, right, who are bursting into the room, what you're gonna notice is gunfire and cultists who are in this main space start dropping over. There is a roar of gunfire from multiple weapons that begin raining through this space. So Maggie, you're going to use your full movement on round one to attempt to close some of the distance. Okay. That is your entire movement. Simon, you enter the space. You'll actually go before Mr. Fraser, so you would be the first one through the breach. Can I pick out the loud Miss Maggie voice? Oh yeah, 100%. Can I shoot around the loud Miss Maggie voice? You can, yeah. There's more than enough bodies in your way. I mean, keep in mind the room as of current has about 60 cultists in it. 
So if you're attempting to hit the person at the center of this circle, you're going to be at disadvantage because they have cover. This is Simon not hitting Maggie, but just mowing through a chunk of the rest of the cultists. Okay. Yeah, no, certainly. I don't want to say it's like shooting fish in a barrel, but their backs are all to you and there are a wide line of them. So you would be well within easy shooting range to begin firing on them. Point blank? Yeah, I think some of them would be point blank, certainly. With the bonus die for point blank, that is a 14. Roll damage. And that's, what, 46? What are you rolling? Uh, Thompson. Um, Yeah, so the way to do this in this instance would be to roll first, roll the weapon's lethality. So a Thompson has a lethality of 10%. Can I spend luck on that? Certainly. Okay, I will spend the four luck to drop that to a 10%. Okay, very good. Roll me 46. This is how we'll do it in this regard. You have a drum on that. The drum holds 50 rounds. Mm -hmm. Per round, you can potentially use up to 10 of those rounds. You have basically five pulls on this before it is completely exhausted. So the lethality has gone off. So what I will say is I would like you to roll a D10 and you'll see what I do here with it. We'll, We'll talk about why these are lethal and why they aren't. Six. Okay, so six people die instantly this round. You will do, for every lethality rating of 10% or more, you'll do a D6 to all of the rest of them. Three points. We're going to begin our list of cultists versus how many are here versus how many are gone. That was Simon's action on 80. Now, this obviously is something, a noise level, which you, Miss Miss Bellinger, would hear. You would hear the automatic gunfire. Something very distinct. It does not going to deter you from what you're doing, but I will make you aware of it that someone else is here and they're mucking up your problem. Like the, you, what you're here to do, someone's already planning to mess something up. You can, you just know it. Just naturally in your bones, you know it. Since you are under the effects of about, I'm going to remove the disadvantage die from baleful influence on you. So moving forward, you're n- you're not tied down by it. The person you are surging towards, this leader, this this cultist leader, he sees you approaching him and sees you approaching this mound. And his action will be to take the blanket and rip it off. And so when he does, the ball of leftover people stand up to full and terrifying height and spread their multi-appendaged body wide. And as they do so, each of the 12 mouths let out a terrifying scream in a beautiful and horrifying chorus. For you, Miss Bellinger, since you were already under about, you're immune to this sanity loss. You won't be required to roll it. However, for the rest of the people who are in this space, which would be Mr. Griffith, and um, so, so I would say Fraser and then whoever was behind him. So that'll likely be Paul. And we'll go from there as people encounter it. So from those folks, I will have all of them make a sanity roll. 
Yeah, that's an 87. Needless to say, that's a fail. I get a 10 under 63. You do. That's wonderful. 44 pass. Okay. Uh, Richard fails. Alrighty. Okay, so the professor will lose five points of sanity in this regard. He'll be required to make an intelligence test. Indeed. For our two which have passed, you'll lose two points of sanity, which is pretty close to about as least that you can lose. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, that's an extreme success. That's an 11. You are very, very smart, Professor. He is. So I will luckily be able to give you a bout of badness in real time. And let's see what we get. But I will have you roll a d10. Three. All right. And now we'll come to Mr. Fraser, who has failed his sanity roll. And we'll be losing six points of sanity immediately. Oh, dear. I suppose you'll be wanting an intelligence check, then, wouldn't you? Indeed, sir, I will, since it is a value over five. I just rolled a 77. My intelligence is 60. Oh, have you failed that roll? How wonderful for you. And so you will not take part in any bout, but you have lost a whopper of a sanity amount in six points at this point. Roll Paul's really quick because he's here. So that's a failure. And no bolt for Paul, which is good. But he has lost some sanity. Alrighty. So that is 70. And so now I'll ask on 64, Lady Elizabeth, what you're prepared to do. Well, as far as I know, I don't have to be in a particular space in the room. So I'm going to step in and start chanting. Okay. So this will serve then as your first round of chanting. If you would, perhaps give us a line from the chant which you've been provided oh so beneficially by your uh, keeper. The chant begins. Miss Bellinger, you don't know what it is, but as you knife through these people, as you plunge ever so closer to this creature, all of your body parts begin to heat up, each and every one of them. You can see, just as you move through and react to your skin becoming flush, you can see that your normally somewhat pale skin is beginning to see, you're beginning to see veins in your arms again, and these veins are blackening. All right, that'll bring us to Fraser on 60. Okay, so Fraser has just got a a horrific shock seeing this this thing, this abomination rise up and start screaming. His plan was to take some cover and get a bead on the, the leader of this group uh, and attempt to carefully and precisely eliminate him. That plan is out the window. He has also completely forgotten in this moment that he's supposed to start chanting. And he just walks forward with his arm outstretched, swiftly and determinedly, and fires three shots into this thing. Wonderful. So go ahead and give me your ranged rolls. First shot is a, a normal hit. Second shot is a miss. Third shot is also a miss. And I'm using my Webley, which I believe is a d10 plus two. Yep. Uh, just four points of damage into this horror. 
you fire multiple times and you get a sickening chorus of screams and retort. All right, so that'll be Paul's action. So Paul will step beside you, Lady Elizabeth, and he will put his hand on your shoulder and make a power roll. He whispers in your ear and you can barely hear it over all of the other sort of cacophony of sound events going on that he's here with you and take from him as much as you might need. Uh, And then the professor who goes on 50. So Richard is um, observing this situation and he's absolutely horrified by what he's seeing. And as far as he's concerned, um, Maggie's not in a a good way at the minute. And she's... uh, She's clearly being set upon by this this horror that's just scared the, the willies out of him. So Richard is going to pop his... Because um, he, he knows how he can, can, can sort this out. So he, he's going to pop his device on with the, the black and the nice new lens that enables it to do things. And he's going to try and sort of pull this thing away from Maggie and towards him. Willing it towards him by sheer will of force or force of will even yes that's what he's going to try now whether it works or not whether this is completely barking is uh, is another matter but this is precisely what he wants to do interesting yeah I think that that's a terrible plan I can't wait to see you try it yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes wonderful a power roll yeah absolutely go ahead and make a power roll Oh, so that's 14. That is an extreme success. Fantastic. So go ahead and roll a d6. Six. All right. Spend six magic points. You engage the lens and you do so in a place that you suddenly wish you hadn't. Mm. So all of the lines of this building are off. All of them are at odd and discomforting angles to even look at. The creature itself is an amalgamation of red and blue and black lines that riddle its body. Internally, it's been woven together by powerful mystical forces. And you do what you feel is right, which is you call attention to yourself. You know that this creature seemingly is in Maggie's way and will likely pulverize her if given the opportunity. And so you reach out with your hand and as you've done previously on the train, attempt to physically alter something on this creature. And in doing so, you draw its attention to you. The body facing clearly turns. The sides of it whip around and... Each one of the faces that adorn its upper area open their mouths and extend long, sharp tongues. And they begin plucking at the cultists in front of them like an able gardener would weed a garden, popping heads as it gets closer. Correct me if I'm wrong. Simon, Fraser, the professor, Paul all willing participants in this act yes said that they would they would be they, they would assist verbally said yes okay very good i think richard's probably got other things on his mind at the minute 
I think he probably does, but I think you said that you were part of this whole thing beforehand. Yeah. So from all of you, I'm going to deduct three points of magic. And that's the professor's action. Miss Bellinger, at the top of the second round, you arrive. Oh, good. So yeah, what are you doing? Oh, am I at, I'm at the monster now? Yeah, you're going to arrive at the monster. As previously stated, Maggie would like to grab at its flesh and wherever these stitched lines are, begin ripping it apart. Like with your bare hands? Yeah, like good in like in a good like close melee distance. Just right up close and personal with it. I love that idea for you. So why don't you go ahead and uh, make a fighting brawl roll and I'll make a, um, a fighting back roll. I passed. Did you know? 20, 25 under 47. Well, you see, this creature has something called build. Mm. And so it's going to get a certain number of advantages in physical combat. Mm. It snatches you out of the air. Like when you run up on it to pull at the stitches, hands and a broken but yet still workable foot grab you about the midsection. It will only do 1d2 points of damage to you. And then it pulls you, the tongue pulls you closer to the body. It reels you in. And suddenly the peripheral of your vision is covered in flesh as many tongues begin grappling you. And so you're officially grappled by tongues. Oh, good. So, Simon, on 80, you see Maggie. Oh, there she is. Is If I were to shoot at this creature, is it big enough that I could avoid Miss Maggie? Certainly. I will swing the gun up and shoot. Okay. Well, that's an 89. It's an 89. I do not have the luck to spend that down. Sorry, Miss Maggie. Okay. You fire a whole bunch of bullets. Why don't you roll me percentile dice for lethality? 63. Okay. So nobody accidentally dies, but also nobody on purpose dies either. Uh, on the next action, um, you're the leader of this rabble, this cult, bathed in a red-tinged we'll just say leather, steps around his new pet and whispers, is able to whisper to you, Maggie, I want to thank you personally for bringing the pieces to me. You've endured so much and so much more is to come. That's his action. That's all he does. On 64, Lady Elizabeth, you are now in your second round. What are you doing? I'm going to keep chanting. Are you now? Chanting is helpful. Yes, it's kind of the, what I'm supposed to be doing. Certainly. Could you give us a chant line, perhaps? Wonderful. We do like a good chant in these uh, final moments, of course. All right, let's, uh, let's see here. Miss Bellinger, I need you to make me a hard constitution roll. All right. I can certainly attempt. Oh, so my constitution is 45. Mm-hmm. And I rolled an 86. Did you now? I did. All right. I'm going to spend a hand of fate, and I'm going to make that a success. Across your body, 
you feel like somebody is taking their fingertip and they're slowly touching you in circular motions all over. Every inch, really. For those of you who can see the, the main stage area, Miss Bellinger is now glowing with a series of strange symbols on her body. Richard, you above all see this happen. You have the perfect sight for something like this. And you see that this energy that's being pulled out of Maggie, whatever source of this incantation must be what's affecting her. And it looks like her entire body is now red from head to toe. And the symbols glow this white light. Letters, strange etchings, perhaps even mathematical symbols. Uh, so that is Lady Elizabeth's second action. So that will bring us round to Mr. Fraser on 60. Okay, I think at, at this point, Fraser kind of realizes that he's going off-piste and tries to focus in on wherever this leader guy is and also he's going to start chanting he's just going to copy what he's heard lady elizabeth say and he's going to try and take a bead on uh, on this man that's standing i guess standing beside maggie and he's going to take a single single shot go for it so i know there's others about but does my bdi talent avoid the penalty die for that it certainly does that's 26. I am going to spend however much luck I need to spend in order to make that an impale. So because I my handgun is slightly boosted because I've got the, um, the high skill in a similar weapon, that brings, brings it down to 10. So I need to spend 16 points of luck. Okay. Which brings you to how much luck? Uh, that will bring me in down to... 47. Okay. So it's max damage plus roll damage. Yep. So that's 12 plus... Well, I rolled a 9. 12 plus 11. So what's that? 30, 33 points of damage? No, 23 points of damage, sorry. 23. Ooh. Okay. All right. You, with the benefit of some of the cultists being mowed down by Simon and some of the other rifleists that are beginning to make their way into the main space here, you step up enough and get a clear shot at the man you know to be Makarat. Just as he's leaning away from Miss Bellinger, having said what he said to her, you lock eyes with him, and he sees you pull the trigger. There's an amazing powder flash from the end of the, the Webley. And on the other end of it, Mr. Makarak gets a bullet in the throat and tumbles, spins down onto the floor of this circle where this nasty flesh ball used to be. The creature reacts poorly. It flings Miss Bellinger away into the crowd of people. Miss Bellinger will take a point of damage from being used like a a baseball, and your long and glorious ride on the multi-toned creature is seemingly over at this point. The cultists in front react poorly, and they begin trying to flee. Professor, 
with this creature fully locked onto you now, it's your action on 50. What are you prepared to do? So Richard has got this idea that this thing was sewn together by a hand and by magic. So what he is going to do is look using the device to the very center of the thing where the threads uh, appear to converge. And he is going to try and render this thing in two by sheer force of will again and try and rip this thing apart much the same as Maggie did, but rather than physically, mentally. So I'm willing to let you attempt such an act of personal power. I have no problem with you making the roll. I just need you to know one very important thing. Is Richard prepared to do anything? He is wanting to pour his absolute entirety into this effort. He sees this thing as a big threat to Maggie and uh, he will do anything to stop it. Okay. So go ahead and make me a power roll. Ooh, shit. Well, it rolled a double zero, which is excellent, but not when the evil purple dice also rolled a zero. Hmm. So are what you're telling me is that you've rolled a hundred? That, that would be an accurate uh, representation of the facts. So that's a fumble. <laughs> oh dear. So you reach out with your mind and you find the stitches that weave this thing together and you pour everything you have into finding some way to unravel this horrifying creature. The screams from inside of you don't really stop. You bleed out from one existence to the other. You still see your hand frozen in time, reaching out, trying to unravel this creature. Beside you, Lady Elizabeth, the professor becomes a pile of threads and a smoking device. And that is, I think, where I'm going to end this episode. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We are grateful and thankful for your listening ears. Thank you and good night.